Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. We're continuing our series on the impact of coronavirus on the wine industry. And today we have a guest. We have Tim Marson, Master of Wine, who is a senior wine buyer at wine.com. Tim, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a breakdown about your intro to the wine business, but also, and also wine.com. Yeah, so I've been in the wine industry for about 23 years now. So straight out of college, university, and from the UK, as you can probably tell from my accent. So I went straight into retail side of the wine business back in 97. I worked my way through various roles, multiple high street retail, independent specialists, and then a little bit of wholesale trade sales and into buying. And I moved over to the US back in 2011. So UK, is that Welsh or Scottish? Doesn't seem quite that bad. <laughs> so I was for the English part of the United Kingdom, uh, mostly, <laughs> mostly working in London and was uh, working for a, a large distributor, importer, wholesaler and retailer. And so how long have you been at Wine.com? Uh, so I've been with the business for four years now, just at my fourth anniversary. Congratulations. So let's talk a bit about Wine.com. You guys are the leading e-commerce website with a massive selection of wines. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Wine.com's demographics and like who is the average Wine.com person? Who's the What's the persona look like? We serve everyone. Obviously, we're uh, able to ship to 42 states plus DC. And our demographics are pretty equal. Males are female, that's a little stronger male and slightly older, but we're roughly a third, a third, a third between the three main demographic groups. So compared to the industry as a whole, we skew younger. And you also have a, an app and a website. A lot of your business is going to the app. What is that breakdown in terms of the people who use your app versus the website? Yeah, so mobile, which we include the kind of mobile website plus the app, is about a third of our business at the moment. It is growing rapidly, especially in the last, last couple of months. Obviously, we're all kind of in lockdown at the moment and in shelter in place, especially here in California. What have been some of the immediate impacts that you've seen from the coronavirus on your business? Pretty instantaneous. Mid-March, I was actually on a trip in Europe and I came back the day that uh, San Francisco announced it was shutting down, which was March 16th. And uh, even the few days prior to that, as this news was getting out across the country, there was a huge surge in demands for wines being purchased online and being delivered to people's homes. So um, it was a pretty instant reaction to uh, to the lockdown news. How big of a bump was it right off the bat? We kind of looked at it like the segment of March, the second half of March, and then April in its, in its own right. Our financial year ends at the end of March, so it obviously had a big impact on, on those two weeks, but also on the on the trading 12 through the end of our financial year. But um, if we're looking at like a 7x, 7x growth in new customers wow. and significant growth in, in, in revenue, uh, which, which hasn't slowed down since. We've seen reports that Wine.com in the last fiscal year hit record numbers with, I think, was $164 million in, in revenue. What were the key drivers of that growth versus prior years? Yeah, so through the end of March, we saw 25% growth year on year, one of our fastest growing years in our history. The three kind of drivers behind that are what we refer to as the 3Ms, mobile, millennials, and membership. Obviously, a lot of customers are buying wine now through their tablet or their phones, not just engaging 
with the content, but actually buying there with the, with, from the palm of their hands. And that's obviously very attractive to an annual audience. So our, our customer skew is roughly about a third of our customers are millennials, but it represents about 25% of our revenue. That's not because they're buying cheaper wine. They're actually buying similar price wines as other age segments. They're just buying fewer bottles at a time because they have less disposable income and they have less room to store it than the older generations. And then membership, our stewardship program, which is our complimentary shipping model for 50 bucks a year, you get a year's worth of complimentary unlimited shipping. That's obviously a huge deal for customers who want wines delivered to their, to their homes or their offices. And uh, so that's really driven our growth over the, over the last year and particularly over the last two months during COVID. I was always wondering about that, if that's a big deal or not, that it reminds me of Costco's like membership model, right? You buy the membership to Costco and then you're more likely to go there and pick up a lot more stuff and prefer going there versus other places. Absolutely. It engenders loyalty and uh, the lifetime value of those customers is, is very, very significant. What, what percent of your customers is uh, on the stewardship model? It represents about half our revenue right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow, that's huge. They're spending on average $1,000 a year with us. So when we grow our stewardship membership, as we have done immensely over the last couple of months, that's great for our future. So since COVID, the stewardship membership has really taken off? It has by a factor of 14. 14x number of stewardship joins of April last year. So back in February, we had our annual growth summit. We were talking about 75, 80,000 stewardship members. Today, we have close to 130, and that's 130,000 members. So in three months, that's been spectacular growth. Wow. Yeah, that, that's got to be awesome to think about people repeat buying for the rest of the year, right? Even through lockdown and people with brick and mortar opening up again. Absolutely. It, it bodes very well for not just for our business, but for the, for the future of online retail in general. When did you start the stewardship program? Before my time. Okay. So it's been a while. But not long before. Yeah. I'm just wondering in terms of calculating that lifetime value of those users, because you know, if you've had it going for four or five years, I mean, and, and people keep resubscribing, that's, that's a massive, you still don't even know where that tail ends yet for that lifetime value. Yeah. And the resubscription rates are very high around 75%. Mm, wow. $49 a year. Does that on average represent a subsidy for, for the customers? Absolutely. It's a big investment on our part, but it's, it's more than worth it given the, uh, the LTV of the customer. That's great. So since lockdown, if you had 25% growth through the end of March, then you said like seven times the levels going into April. Is that driven mostly by the average price going up or going down is what we've been hearing and bottle sales going up? And what, what kind of shifts have those been? Yeah, so we, we've seen an impact on our average bottle price. So comparing April of this year versus April of 2019, we're looking at $30 a bottle a year ago, $23 a bottle this year. So that's been significant, but the units uh, sold per SKU has uh, grown 4x. So 86, SKU, 86 bottles per SKU sold in April of this year versus 20 a year ago. Interesting that the number of bottles per order has not changed that much, but as the selection has, has reduced for other reasons which we'll go into, the volume per skew has increased. But there's a lot of the less expensive wines 
being sold. But most of that is from new customers to our business, not existing customers. So average bottles per order has been flat, but you have a lot more orders and a lot more customers. Interesting. Exactly. So I'm assuming you're tracking that COVID cohort, this grouping, to see if they behave a little bit differently than your standard Wine.com customer as, as things go on. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different audience and they're interested in, in different wines, but we may be getting them at a different point in their wine discovery journey. And through the, the content and the advice that we give to online chat, we can help them chart that journey through more interesting wines that we, that we have. And another interesting thing is that we sold nearly 19,000 different vintage-specific SKUs in the month of April. So even though we reduced our range dramatically to catch up with the demand and to allow our uh, operations to continue to, to operate at a high level, we actually were selling through that long tail even in, in that period. So for everybody who's listening, your pre-COVID SKUs were roughly how many? Yeah, so pre-COVID, we were running at about 16,500 SKUs available out of our Berkeley, California warehouse, which services 14 other states in the West. When COVID hit, because of the huge surge in demand, we had to reduce our selection in order to allow our operations to keep up, both inbound and outbound. So we actually reduced the selection by two-thirds. We've also seen the restaurant industry essentially dry up. So have you been able to pick up from the supply chain from what were normally being taken over by restaurants? Yeah, I mean, there, there are kind of two things that we reduced our selection to, to help operations catch up, and that was something affected by us. Whereas what we're seeing now with the closing down of the on-premise, essentially, is a lot of allocations opening up for wines that were previously closed to us which is great. We obviously like to think that our partners have a long-term view of these things. So they're not just going to give the wines for now and then next year say, oh, sorry, they're back in the restaurants. That's not really how this, this business works, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they respond to that ask. Have there been any other disruptions in the supply chain? I've heard some distributors or importers really bringing in more wines because of the fear of tariffs at the end of the year. So they're like really well stocked with really expensive wines, but it might be a different mix versus you hear some stories about, you know, well, South Africa was not permitting even exports for a while or people struggling or not wanting to take the risk to bring on huge containers in. Is there a change in what's available to you as a retailer to offer? We haven't really noticed changes in that respect. What we have seen is some wholesalers reducing their inventory because of the disappearance largely of the on-premise customer base. So they're keeping lighter inventories than they used to, which means more frequent stockouts or lack of availability. But as a kind of the, the third tier and the three-tier system here, some of those impacts that may have occurred a month or two or even longer ago have yet to filter through to our level. Mm. Going back to your point about ramping with these pop and sales that you've had and that are sustaining, what has been the changes for your internal staffing in order to make sure that you can get all those deliveries out? Because it sounds like that's really hard to predict a pandemic coming and you need to ramp up and staff. Well, I mean, this was the, the key thing because we ramp up like this every year for, for the holidays because we know that Christmas is going to come on December 25th. So we can plan in advance to hire as necessary for our operations. When the shutdown happened with, with COVID, we were unprepared for that. So we had to react quickly, but there's only so quickly you can hire 400 plus people. And we did that. We're now fully staffed so to match the level of demand we're seeing. But uh, it, was, it was the fact that we were going to call unawares that 
recommend that we have to shift our business very rapidly. You've had to ramp up on people who are actually shipping out wines, but also customer service who are taking the orders. And so one of the things that's unique about wine.com is your chat function. So like in terms of those people that you've had to hire, essentially you have the Corona Christmas season essentially happening right now. You're now having to rapidly hire a bunch of people. I'm assuming that's for shipping, that's for packing, that's for a lot of customer service to deal with all the orders coming in, just that logistically processing all of those, you know, takes time. Absolutely. So it was a total of 500 new hires. Most of those obviously were in the uh, logistics centers, packing and shipping, as you say, and receiving. On the customer service and online chat side, we hired up to about 100 people for that. So that was in response to online chat volume being three and a half to four and a half times the normal levels. A lot of new customers to our site that said they weren't sure how things worked. They wanted some more help than our traditional customer base would need helping to find the wines they're looking for or looking for advice. So in terms of chat, we've seen slightly different types of questions being asked. They're more what we might call novice questions as people who are kind of new to our site buy wine from us needed a bit more help in that direction. For those newer customers, have you found that they use chat more than existing customers? And that's why it's there for people who kind of need a bit of guidance and, and help finding the wines they're looking for. So the engagement has been very high. Because I, I imagine that that makes wine.com feel more like walking into a store, right? Is getting that advice from someone else. Or in my case, I, I might be like trying to avoid the people in the store, <laughs> and like avoiding, avoiding the chat. I keep waiting for you to pop up on the chat <laughs> to ask very difficult questions, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. No, it won't happen anytime soon with any luck, but uh... Peter, I think you'd have to spend a lot more to get Tim to be your uh, customer service rep. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but that's that's the whole idea because um, we're all familiar with the, the wall of wine phenomenon. And when you walk into a, a large wine store, it's like it's it's bewildering and, and perplexing and, and confusing. So you look to high quality staff there to, to help you. Some stores you get it, most stores you don't. But the great thing about online chat is whether you're on a, a laptop or on a phone, you can connect with a real human being who's knowledgeable and wants to help. And yes, we have a huge selection, but that that help in terms of the, the human chat, as well as the filtering functions of the website, really help people find the wine they're looking for. And how hard has it been to hire? I mean, I, obviously, ramping up 500 people quickly in this kind of time of peril, like, has that been a challenge for you guys? Well, I'll speak to hiring for, for chat because obviously with the, the lockdown of the on-premise there are a lot of out-of-work sommeliers, and this is a kind of perfect job for even working sommeliers because they can do it in their, in their part-time and from, from home. But we had 2,800 applicants for a, a dozen or so roles in, in chat, which is phenomenal numbers. That speaks to how impacted the on-premise and hospitality world has been because there are a lot of, a lot of people who are uh, passionate about wine and, and love to work with people and, and help people uh, who are out of work currently. And even though it's called wine.com, you guys are not just limited to wine, correct? Yeah, so we launched Spirits in a year ago in four states that we operate in. We're not allowed legally to ship across state lines, so we're restricted to selling within the state that we have uh, warehouses and can have a Spirits retail license. So currently, Florida, New York, New Jersey, and California. Yeah, I got a I got a mailer from wine.com with a margarita recipe and tequila advertisement and I, I was like well, I had no idea <laughs> I even had tequila yeah I mean it's, the adoption has been been great it obviously makes a lot of sense for us because the customer overlap is 
significant, and also the supply overlap is is strong too. So it was a kind of a no brainer for us in lots of ways. Took some logistical wrinkles to figure out, but um, it's already. 15% of our revenue in the full markets where we can sell spirits. And is that something that you guys reacted to COVID or something that just you had already had in the works? That's been planned for some time. As I said, we launched last year. We, we only launched California back in February, but it was obviously not COVID related. And we had an idea that this was going to happen at that stage. And it's spirits. Is there beer? With, is beer coming on any, or sake? Does that count as a spirit? We've dabbled in sake and um, it doesn't really make sense for us because the, the volume isn't there to issues with shelf life and so on, we could have moved away from that. Beer doesn't make sense for us because it's it's low value and heavy. Uh, so the only person that wins with that is FedEx rather than us. So that's not a direction we plan to go into. Free shipping and uh, or stewardship and beer might, <laughs> might be too much of a subsidy. No happy bedfellows. <laughs> I bet you there's some college kids that would love that though. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've got a lot of new customers. How are they finding out about wine.com whether that's in this covid era or prior to that? Well, we obviously invest a lot in in marketing. With covid, a lot of the new customers have found us organically. About a third of our new customers have found us through organic channels that's through SEO, SEM, natural search ads, word of mouth. And the rest, two-thirds of them have come through paid ads such as Google keyword search, Facebook, Instagram ads shopping and sites and affiliate sites. But what's different from, from previously, and as, as I said, we've invested even more, we've wrapped up our marketing spend in this time when there's a lot of potential custom out there. The difference now is that people who come across this either organically or paid search are people who are looking to buy wine. So the strong buying intent means that the conversion rates are much higher than previously. And that, of course, translates to a lower cost of customer acquisition. Dramatically so, in fact. In terms of the different marketing channels that you have been spending on, you talked about SEM and social and paid search. Have you seen any being more cost-effective than any of the others? It's a good spread, and I don't have those those numbers, and I'm not sure I could share with, you, with them with you anyway. But we've adapted our, our marketing message somewhat during lockdown uh, because obviously people aren't gathering in large groups, family and friends. So our message has been more about virtual entertaining and happy hours. And we have a lot of interest from our customers in, in hosting their own kind of Zoom chats and uh, happy hour sessions. But also about food pairing because people are cooking more for themselves and they want ideas of what to which wine to serve with a, with a meal they're planning at home. And also on the whole education discovery piece because people have a bit more time on their hands. They're interested in wine, they're interested in what they're drinking. and uh, We can provide that. So the marketing messages have been very much focused on those aspects. How does wine.com participate in the, the Zoom happy hours and that kind of thing? Absolutely. So pretty soon after this whole thing went down, we uh, launched a series of virtual tastings. We call them virtual, but they're not virtual because you can actually buy the wines in advance, have them there with you so you can taste along with the host and the, and the guests. And they've been tremendously popular and successful. We've had some really big names from the world of wine and spirits, both from a uh, production side, but also from a celebrity side. So we've had John Legend, we've had Lisa Vanderpump yesterday, wow. we had Michael Crabbe, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul from uh, uh, Dos Hombres Mezcal, obviously from um, uh, Breaking Bad fame. And 
the great thing about that is that it brings a lot of new customers in, into the business. So it's it's not kind of just kind of wine talk and, and geeking out about wines and being technical. It's actually making it fun, interactive. You can have Q&As, you can ask your questions to the guests. And so it's very much kind of wine edutainment, combining education, discovery, and entertainment. Is that just for your stewardship members or is that free for everybody? Is that just through social? Like what's the, like who gets access to that level of content? Because that sounds awesome. And I have, I've have seen some posts around that with the celebrities and I thought that was genius, but I'd love to know like how do, how do people get access to that content? Yeah, it's absolutely open to everyone and you don't have to buy the wines in advance if you don't want to, or if you do have them shipped to you, don't have to open them all at once, post it on Zoom, but also on YouTube live. We have our own YouTube channel. So you can go back and watch the episode when it's convenient for you, when you want to open the wines. And how did you get connected with some of these people and know that they were even into wine and <laughs> want to taste wine with you? Well, these are all leveraged through our supplier partnerships. Also, over 20 years, the company's been in business. And it's, it's amazing how enthusiastic these winemakers and winery owners and uh, celebrities have been to engage with our customers through this relatively new medium. That's right, because John Legend has his own wine brand now. Is that is that right? He does. He has a partnership with Jean-Charles Boisset called LVE. Right. Is this something that you think you will continue to do post-COVID? Or is this something you were doing pre-COVID? Like, I'm just curious on what the timing is. It sounds like this is a response to COVID, but it also sounds amazing from a viral marketing standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, the response has been so good that we, we're certainly continuing for the, for the meantime, as long as there continues to be that response both in terms of people engaging. Obviously, it's sales-driven. We like to sell the wines as well, and that, the response has been very good to that. So as long as there's interest, enthusiasm, and, and sales there, we will continue to, to run these programs. Back on the, on the social media or in ad spending, so you guys have had this huge pop due to COVID, ramped up a bunch of staff. During the holiday season, you would typically ramp up staff, but also spend more on marketing to make sure you attract new customers. Are you guys doubling down or you know, essentially dumping gasoline on the fire to get even more sales now? Is your, is your marketing spend really gone up in the last month or so? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, we've tripled our marketing spend over the last couple of months, largely to uh, invest in opportunities that exist where people are looking to buy wine online. We're perfectly poised to service that demand. And so we're going out there and, and, and investing in, in finding those new customers. And it's, it's obviously been very successful. Switching into a little bit more lighthearted. So what has been uh, some of the most interesting things that have happened at wine.com during this whole COVID situation? Well, it's, it's still kind of business related, but one kind of curious aspect was Pennsylvania, because as we all know, the liquor control board there closed down the retail stores and people flooded online to buy wines and mm. that very quickly became our biggest ship to state, which would, would never have happened work without the, the actions of, the, of the, uh, the governor there. So that was a kind of peculiar thing. And, and obviously, when we saw that happen, we channeled some of our marketing initiatives on a state-by-state basis so we could target potential consumers in Pennsylvania. So we had a huge uptick in new customers from, from that state specifically. And obviously, things are kind of slowly reopening now, so that may temper that demand. But now they found us and they realize it's much easier to buy from us and from, from the state-controlled uh, stores. So we're hoping that they're going to stick around. Another cool story was well-known tennis player Andy Roddick. He's been a customer of ours for a long time. And he sent out a tweet early on in, in the lockdown with a picture of four wine.com boxes being delivered to his home. And the tweet read, not all heroes wear capes. 
which is pretty cool. We now have our warehouse teams all wearing T-shirts saying, not all heroes wear capes. So that was kind of fun. I want one of those T-shirts. That's awesome. Wrap things up here. What do you think are going to be lasting trends versus fads just during the COVID time? So basically, what what's going to stick around and what do you think will fade away? Well, I think the, the key takeaway from this is that wine was underrepresented in the online retail space. It represents only about 3%, maybe slightly less than 3% of overall wine business sales in, in the US. Um, there are multiple reasons for that, which most of us are familiar with. But this is a, a, a sea change moment for online wine retail in this country. None of us wanted it to happen because of a global pandemic, of course. But if anything, it's fast-forwarded what was a natural evolution. So it's put our business kind of a year ahead of where it was going to be anyway. But it's also changed people's mindset about how they buy wine. So a lot of our new customers buy wine online for the first time. And when we've surveyed them, we know this. They've told us that they didn't buy wine online before. We want to know if they're going to be buying wine for online in the future. And the vast majority, 88% of them, have said they're going to buy wine online at least some of the time. And 36% of them are saying they're going to buy it most of the time online. So that's huge because not only are we seeing a huge growth in customer base and membership, which entails loyalty, we're also seeing a change in perception about how one buys wine and an engagement with online wine retail, which hasn't existed before. So we're pretty bullish and excited about what the future holds for our business, but for also the whole online wine retail scape in the US. In terms of what you think might fade away? I think things will level out in terms of our average bottle price. Initially, we had a lot of new customers buying supermarket brands because those are the wines they knew. We offer those as well as a lot of fine wine. Um, but those behaviors will change over time. Some of those customers may gravitate back to bricks and mortar retailer and adding wine to their grocery shop. So we're going to see our average retail price grow again. But I think we're also going to see those customers naturally gravitate towards our huge selection, exploring the world of wine that we make easy for them. We help them find it. We help them choose it. And we tell them about it. And I think people are going to enjoy that, that journey. And we hope and expect them to do that with us. That's excellent. Is there anything else that you know listeners should know about wine.com? And obviously, it's easy to find wine.com online or, or the app. Yeah, I'd say uh, check us out. I mean, we have the world's largest wine selection, and we make it very easy to have wine delivered directly to your home, whether it's whether in lockdown or not. It's a great place to not just buy wine, but to explore wine, to learn about it, and to enjoy the whole experience of the wine lifestyle. I definitely get many study wines from there. Thank you for your time, Tim. We really appreciate you taking the time to educate all of us on uh, what's happening at wine.com. Yeah, thank you for your transparency, Tim. We appreciate it. And uh, we, we definitely owe you a bottle of wine when it's safe to, to meet up in a social setting. I'll hold you to that. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.